Hello and welcome back to the Future is Bilingual podcast. My name is Heather and I'm very happy that you've decided to join me here today. If it's your first time listening, welcome. Welcome to our little community. And if you've been listening either a few times or for the past three years, thank you so much for coming back and joining me for another episode. Today's topic is a bit controversial. I am going to recognize that right off the bat. um, The terms I'm using are controversial. So we are going to talk about native versus non-native language teachers. And I do recognize that I am playing into this problem by continuing to use the terms native and non-native. However, we are in such a paradigm right now where we can't really, we need a new way of looking at it. And until we have that new way, I have to use the terms that are also being used in the greater community. And so we're here to talk about that. But I do recognize that, yes, those terms can be problematic. Yes, those terms do not explain the full picture. And that's exactly what we're here to talk about and think about today. So just know that I do recognize that this is problematic. Hence why I'm creating this episode and why I want to talk to you guys and everybody about this topic. Um, So in this episode, I'm going to tell you kind of my own reflections, my own musings on this topic, um, which are based course on my own experiences. I am both a language learner who studied many languages over the years and I continue to study languages and I'm also a language teacher. So I currently teach four languages in case you don't know. Um, I teach French, Spanish, English, which is my native tongue, and Polish. And I will talk a little bit, (laughs) I'll try and keep it brief, um, about my own experiences. And I do have kind of a big secret I'm going to share with you guys. Um, I don't really want to, but I think it's important in this discussion. And then I'm also going to talk about what we learned um, during the Polyglot Gathering because I proposed having an open discussion on this topic and I was really floored. I was shocked how many people came to discuss this topic with me. So I'll tell you a little bit what I learned from our discussion there. And yeah, let's dive right in. So another small thing that I just want to mention briefly is that I'm also toying with the idea of creating some of these podcast episodes in French as well. So in case um, you speak French, si vous parlez français, you can go and listen to this episode uh, in French if you would prefer, or say maybe you're learning French and you would like to listen to this episode in French. French is my strongest foreign language. And so I hope that you will at least take a little listen and just see. Um, because while it's the same topic, I'm guaranteed to say something a little bit differently because I'm not going to translate. Just like I'm not reading a script right now, I'm just talking from uh, my ideas. And yes, I have a little bit of uh, notes, but alas, (laughs) I'll keep it brief. Just wanted to be very transparent and let you guys know, see what you guys think. All right, merci. All right, so let's get right to it. I am going to talk about my own experiences first because that is where we all come from. We all have to make sense of the world from our own experiences before we can compare with others. Um, So I am American, born and raised in the Northeast of the US, and I learned French. Um, I learned a little Hebrew, but I'm not even going to count Hebrew. I started learning French uh, in sixth or seventh grade, so I was about 11 or 12, and I learned almost exclusively from non-native teachers, uh, all the way up until the year, my junior year of college, when I went to study abroad. 
So even my professors at university, I think most of them were non-native teachers as well, um, which is just kind of interesting. I never thought, you know, good or bad about it. It just, it just was, right? I wasn't really thinking about this topic back then. I was just trying to learn the French language. Um, and so, of course, uh, going abroad was this really desirable thing. Learning from native teachers, that was super rich and fascinating experience. Okay. Uh, my Spanish classes, on the other hand, I started Spanish at university. <laughs> if you might have heard my story that I wanted to start in high school and was advised not to because I would confuse Spanish with French. So I started at university and I had a good mix of native and non-native teachers. And that's because they had graduate students, um, doctoral students that were from Spain who would teach some of our classes. Um, so I remember two of them specifically, they were both from Spain, uh, one male, one female. And other teachers were, I remember, non-native, um, but spoke very well. And, you know, it was neither here nor there, like I said. Um, I wasn't really thinking about that when I was at university. Um, and then I went to Costa Rica and I uh, obviously worked with all native teachers while I was in Costa Rica. Uh, but in the high school I taught it, we were all non, oh no, that's not true. We did hire my friend and she's a native speaker from Venezuela. Uh, but yeah, the French teachers, all of us were non-native and most of the Spanish teachers were also non-native. And that's pretty common. Right. I think we can recognize French and Spanish are international languages and many of the teachers are going to be non-native, just like with English, as we should know. Right. Um, when I learned Polish, I learned it from all native teachers. I've never had a non-native teacher of Polish. Um, even the people I talked to when I was learning Polish, every single person I ever spoke Polish with was a native speaker. I was the only non-native. Um, and some of them were what we would call heritage learners. So they grew, uh, grew up hearing it from their parents, but kind of lost it because they grew up here, but they were still, you know, that was their first language. That was the first language they heard. That was the language of their parents. Um, and that was a really interesting experience because it just, we're gonna get into this, you know, some of the, the advantages, but people always said that my accent was very good. And I would say, that definitely mm, could be because Polish wasn't my first foreign language that I learned. So maybe my ear was already trained, but I think that's also highly due to the fact that I only heard natives and you, you imitate, you copy what you hear. So I did my best to sound <laughs> the way that they sounded. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad to say, but it just kind of, it just was, that was my experience. Always talking to natives everybody I studied with, I, I studied with some teachers online, they were um, all natives. <laughs> so uh, now teaching Polish, that's a whole nother uh, can of worms because I'm a non-native teacher. Um, and when I was speaking to my children, I am the non-native speaker of this, this language that I was teaching them. So kind of interesting. Oh, I did want to mention, um, I did, uh, I was living in France the fourth year that I was studying Polish. And that was the first time in four years of studying this language um, that I had heard non-natives speak Polish, <laughs> which was just such a, an eye-opening and kind of shocking experience because it, I was in France. And as many of us know, the French have a very heavy accent, right? When they speak English, you can tell right away it's a French person. Not always. There are plenty of French people who 
do not have that very strong accent, but I would say that the French accent is very easy to distinguish. And so hearing French people speaking Polish and hearing how Polish sounds with a French accent was, was a very interesting experience for me. When I studied Arabic, I started at university uh, in the US. My teacher was from Sudan, but Arabic was not his first language. He told us all about how he he heard his friends going to the Quranic school and then he decided he wanted to learn uh, Arabic, but it was not his first or second language even. Um, and then I went to France and about half of my teachers were natives and half of them were non-natives. And I just remember, even to this day, um, I was just so impressed with my non-native teachers because I, I recognized how difficult and how different Arabic is from French and English, um, which are much closer structure-wise and everything. I was just so impressed with those non-native teachers. Like, wow, you know, one day I would love to understand Arabic grammar. I would love to speak like these people speak. And I, I think that, you know, even today. <laughs> um, so I thought that in 2000, whatever year that was. Um, and even today when I work with my Arabic tutor and, you know, I hear some of the people I follow online, I'm just so, so impressed at their level of um, fusha, which is the, you know, um, kind of eloquent standardized, um, well, you know, what we call modern standard Arabic. Okay. Um, and then when I studied Italian, which I'm still studying, um, it was all stealth study. So I didn't really do too much with um, teachers, but I listened to a lot of podcasts and a lot of content made by native teachers. Um, like on Instagram, for instance, but I did do a couple um, Duolingo events when those were still around and some were native teachers and some were non-native. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I was just happy to, to get some practice, but I think uh, as we're going to talk about natives and non-natives, they both bring a different element into the classroom. So we'll get into that. Okay, so that's a little bit the languages that I have learned and studied. Okay, so let's get into now just a little bit um, my experience is teaching because it's very different, right? From being a learner to being a teacher. And when I think about it, uh, I actually had my first experience being a teacher in a classroom was an EFL, so English as a foreign language classroom, when I was still an undergraduate student in Burlington, Vermont. And so I was teaching, I was like a teacher's aide in a, in a elementary school in downtown Burlington. And then I taught uh, English to elementary school children in France for two years. And while I was there, I also tutored a lot of adults. Uh, I've also taught, um, taught middle and high school students for about one semester. I was just filling in for someone at a charter school in the US. And I've worked at um, different, you know, like library and town programs, again, working with new arrivals or immigrants. Um, usually these programs are for free so the students don't have to pay. So that's what I've been doing recently. And I did that for about a year and a half in my hometown library as well. So that's kind of my experience with English, which has been kind of inconsistent. It's been kind of all over and sporadic. So I'll do it for a year and a half or two years, and then I'll stop for a couple of years and then I'll do it again because an opportunity comes up, but I'll stop again. And uh, I did have like a TESOL certification way back when, um, when I was first applying to teach uh, in France, I actually was also hoping to teach 
I wasn't sure if I would go to France. Um, I was actually hoping to go to Korea <laughs> way back when. So I was doing all these TOSOL, TESOL, whatever you pronounce it, um, certification programs and trying to get a job teaching abroad uh, way back when, as I said. So the language that I really teach the most or languages um, are French and Spanish. Those are the languages that I have been certified in, um, taken certification. Uh, I've taught them in high schools. And I would even say I've taught French uh, more than Spanish because first of all, both of my degrees, my bachelor's is in uh, French literature, French language and literature. Um, and then my master's, uh, master in the art of teaching is with a specialization in French and Francophone uh, studies. So French is definitely my, <laughs> my second language. Um, it's my most dominant foreign language and I've taught it to students of literally all ages. So I've worked with babies and my own children. Um, so from zero to four, I was teaching online during the pandemic. It was more just singing, you know, little songs and things of that nature and colors and some basics. Um, and it was also more <laughs> teaching the, the uh, adults in their life uh, or their lives. And that way they could pass it on to their children, you know, sing the songs with them again and talk about the colors and the numbers. Okay, so I've taught babies. Um, I've taught, uh, you know, little elementary children, middle school, high school. I've taught just all ages. I've even worked with senior citizens, um, again, in these like town programs that we have these extra, um, what do we call them, enrichment programs. So I've taught senior citizens. I currently work with adults. And yeah, French is definitely my dominant language. I've done very similar ages with Spanish because I also taught um, the babies. That program I was doing online was also in Spanish. So um, I digress. Uh, those languages, I am very confident with the grammar, um, very confident with vocabulary, um, more so French than Spanish, just more experience living there and, you know, knowing all the, the sl you know, slang and all that kind of stuff is um, more comfortable with French, but I've never really had an issue teaching those languages. They're in demand. Um, and it is pretty acceptable, at least in the United States, to have a French teacher who's maybe not born and raised in, you know, France or Quebec or some Francophone country. Um, maybe identity wise i would say i identify more <laughs> with french uh than with spanish for multiple reasons that i don't need to get into but again relating more to having lived there um you know being able to to blend in and look like i am a french person when i go versus when i go somewhere in a latin american country i do not look like i'm latina <laughs> but that's uh that's a whole nother can of worms so just to keep this brief um what i'm trying to say is it's never been an issue in the u.s that i'm not native in french or spanish however i have noticed websites so if i'm trying to teach some extra classes or you know do some tutoring or things like that uh, i have noticed a couple websites where they will say you have to be a native french speaker to even apply and I've just been like, oh, man, <laughs> that's a bummer. Um, and I will say that I've heard people say this about um, being an English teacher and, you know, knowing the grammar better than a native uh, English speaker. And that is 100% true. 
um, and I can say the same for myself with French. I understand the grammar much better than I understand English grammar, and also possibly much better than just your average French person or Francophone person who doesn't really care so much about grammar because languages are my passion. Languages are my career. Languages were my studies. So I have spent so many hours looking at this, trying to understand this, you know, writing all my papers have been written in French, things like that. It's just, I, that's what I do <laughs> from, you know, work, passion, my, my hobbies. That is what I enjoy doing is making sense of this grammar. So, um, and I actually have um, some accounts that I follow as well for Arabic where they've said that, you know, I, I live in, she lives in Cairo and she will catch errors in people's fusha in their, you know, modern standard Arabic. She'll see errors in books. And I don't think that's that unusual because when this is your, your life, this is your passion, you are going to catch little errors that someone who doesn't really care about language to that my, you know, detailed and precise extent, they're just going to care about communication, that they're not going to notice that there's little tiny things, okay? Like, you know, I do the same with English. I will notice typos, apostrophes in the wrong place. Um, even my lawyer <laughs> has errors in her English, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how are you earning what you're earning and your English is so... Anyway, yeah, I think it's kind of shocking the errors that ha are made in people's native languages because they just don't they don't pay attention to that um and i'm not saying oh i'm better because i noticed these errors it's just that is what i enjoy i enjoy you know looking at those t those sorts of things and i enjoy grammar and it's it's just we all have our different strengths right and i am very nitpicky and perfectionistic and that's a very annoying thing but it's really good if you want to catch errors like that okay um, and then the last uh, thing, so I talked about, you know, my experience with English, French, and Spanish, but I also have been teaching Polish, and uh, <laughs> Polish is very much not my native language, it is not even my strongest language, and yet, many of you know, um, I was raising my children in Polish, that was their first language, and yeah, that was, that was scary, um, and I will, you know, I'm working on getting something out about, um, actually something I presented at the Women in Language Conference a few years ago about, you know, challenges that come up and different solutions and things you can do if you are that non-native parent who's raising bilingual children in your non-native language. Uh, but you'll have to wait for that future <laughs> publication. Um, but yeah, I think that right now I'm teaching just adults and that's a really rewarding experience. and. I do, I do worry that, oh, you know, I don't know everything. I do have a mix of beginner, kind of high beginner and low intermediate. And I do try and keep my lessons to things that I know I can accurately teach them. So I'm not gonna, you know, launch us into something where I'm not gonna be certain. I definitely prepare for my lessons. Uh, I prepare, I read the book in advance and I look up any vocab that I'm not positive how exactly I would translate it because I know they're going to ask, well, what is that word exactly? So it's good for me to know not just the, the gist and the sentence and what's happening, but I, I should know the words exactly so that if they do ask me, I am prepared to explain to them. Um, and it's been 
yeah, it's, it's kind of been a scary experience. Like I said, I first was giving lessons for free because I thought, who am I? I have no qualifications to be doing this. But I had, the reason I actually started giving the Polish lessons for free on Duolingo was I missed teaching so much. So many of you know, I was doing a PhD up in Canada and I was a student again, which was very fun, but I just really missed teaching. Teaching, I realized during that time was really my calling. It's my passion. I really, really enjoy being with a group of students. I enjoy helping them, helping them see different things for themselves. And I just really missed it. <laughs> and the only way I could think about getting back into it was um, doing these Duolingo events, which I loved so much in Italian. I thought, you know what? Nobody's really offering Polish. There was one guy and his class was for like intermediate and advanced. I'm like, well, what do all the beginners do? <laughs> There's so many people, many, many more learners on Duolingo of, of Polish are beginners than intermediate or advanced. So I was like, I gotta do something for these beginners. I'm sure I can help them practice those basic words. And that's what we've been doing. Um, and it's been really rewarding. And the feedback, I was getting so much feedback with that structure um, because Duolingo would, after every single lesson, so every single week, they sent to all your students, um, please, you know, give us your feedback on how the lesson was. And so these lessons were free. There was 50 people like every week. And if they gave some feedback and wrote a little blurb, um, it was just, it was amazing. I was getting so much feedback and people were really saying how helpful it was. And I was really transparent, you know, I was like, hey, this is, I speak this language, here's why I speak it. Um, and I would, I would literally tell them things that I messed up on. I said, hey guys, you know, for six months, I was saying this the wrong way when someone finally corrected me, you know? And I was like, oh man, why did they wait six months? It was already kind of ingrained in my head. Or, you know, I would tell them words that I slipped up on or words that were really similar sounding that would cause me trouble at the beginning. Um, and I just really pointed them in all those directions of like, here's how I messed up as a non-native or here's what I found tough. Um, here's what natives don't really understand that we don't understand. Like why I understand that that's gonna be hard for you because it was hard for me. But when you're learning with a native teacher, they don't understand why you don't get it. It's so normal in their head. Um, so let me give you an example since we're speaking in English. Um, for many of us, for most of us, I would say, the verbs make and do, we just know when to use them. Like we know that we do the dishes, but we make the bed and we do our homework, right? That's just very normal. But when you have a language, actually like most languages, um, French, Spanish, Polish, they have just one verb that means both make and do. It's very hard to, to separate those out. And, you know, when we're learning Spanish as, as Americans, it's hard for us to do the ser and estar, two verbs to be, or the por para, the two words that mean for. Um, it's very similar in that sense where, you know, we're just, we don't, I don't, I don't know how to teach that as an English native. Um, like to make and to do, I have to look at these lists and these exercises that have probably been created by non-native speakers because they themselves struggled to know which one is which. Um, I'm amazed when I'm preparing for my English classes 
and I'm reading up on the grammar and I'm looking at the exercises and it's true. I mean, it's really true that natives, we don't see how hard it is. We don't see the struggles that the learner is going to have per se. Like I look at my examples and I'm like, yep, this will be a good exercise. This is going to be great. And then we do it in class and like, whoa, it's so hard for them. And I'm like, why is this so hard? Um, and even I used to work under um, a French teacher uh, who was a native uh, French teacher from Senegal. And I remember her telling her, this was high school, like ninth grade high school. So there's kids are like 14. And she would tell them, okay, here's the activity you're going to do. This should take you two minutes. And then I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to take them like at least eight to 10 minutes to do because this is not that easy for them. You know, they're in French too. They're just learning how to conjugate. And she's like, you should be able to do this in two minutes. And da, da, da. she was like very, what's the word? Uh, just, I guess, like Tiffany said in our previous episode, rigoureux. Like she was just very like not strict but just rigorous like come on get this done this should be easy and i think she really just didn't see because for her it would take her two minutes or it would take her one minute so she like doubled the time thinking oh okay it should take them two but i was like oh no like these kids are gonna need at least a couple you know five ten minutes to think about this um so yes we as natives we have lots of blind spots that a non-native teacher doesn't necessarily have is that a good thing is that a bad thing it just it just is okay i'm saying this as a very neutral from a very neutral position not not one is better or one is worse because the native teacher comes with a lot of advantages they're gonna push you they're gonna get you to you know speak more and converse more versus you know maybe if this is you know what i've heard we can get a little bit into what people said during our discussion at the polyglot uh gathering this past uh it was the end of march so just a month ago um some people did say that they found and again it was a room full of polyglots they found that the native teachers conversation partners they just wanted to get you to talk like okay come on share your experiences Whereas a non-native teacher was very focused on pronunciation, grammar, you know, oh, not overcorrecting, but correcting you a lot. They were much more insistent, like get this right from the get-go. And it's probably in your best interest, you know, like they're doing this to help you. Like, okay, you know, if you can pronounce this correctly from the beginning, you're not going to run into these issues where people won't understand you because are you saying, you know, ru or ru, uh, vous or vu, things like that. You know, they're trying to help you from a from a place of good, I'm sure. Um, but they're not letting you just kind of talk the way a native might just like let you talk. And this is 100% true in my case. Somebody said that and it really rang true because, um, you know, when my mom was, was learning French, I was so critical and I was like, you have to say this this way. Don't pronounce it like this. And I was just you know, really hard on her. And the same, you know, same person. I was with my my English learners and I would just let them talk and they were saying some things were, you know, really hard to understand. Um, but I was like, oh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna stop them. I don't wanna discourage them. So I just kind of let them make these mistakes and say these things that were not necessarily pronounced correctly, but I didn't want to stop their flow. 
So yes, I think in my case, that rings super true that um, I'm trying to help students when I'm the non-native teacher, but when I'm a native teacher, I'm just like encouraging them. Like you can do it. Yeah, I don't want to be too hard on you. Um, so it's, yeah. Um, so just a little bit about uh, about me in French before I get on. So this is kind of um, kind of a big secret that I don't really tell people. But uh, when I was in high school, I took AP French. Uh, it was my offered my junior year because we had semesters, kind of like colleges do. So I was able to finish all the French courses before my senior year. And guess what? <laughs> I, as I just professed, you know, I'm like a dedicated French teacher. French is my strongest second language. I failed my AP French test. That's right, failed. One out of five. And yeah, that hurt, you know, it was, it was sad. Um, but you know, I realized I didn't let that failure stop me. And I just was like, okay, that test was all grammar. My teacher, love her. I'm still in contact with her. She was my colleague. I just have so many good words about this teacher that I had. She made our French class so much fun. We were making skits, we were writing, we were using the language we were talking. We were doing TPRS, which is total physical response storytelling. So we were acting and we were moving our bodies and it was very kinesthetic and just fun. Um, and she, no doubt, is part of the reason why I fell in love with French. Uh, but she didn't teach to the test. And thank God. Tant mieux. It's much better that she didn't teach us to the test because I still love French. I started to love French in her class and I continue to love it. And, uh, you know, if she had taught us to the test, who knows? Maybe I would have would have sucked the love and passion of French completely out of me, and I would have gone in a whole different direction, right? Um, so that test, I should say, the AP French test, way back when, the early 2000s, um, is very different. They've changed it since, and it's a way better test. I mean, the test back when I took it was 100% grammar. Do you know the subjunctive and can you conjugate all the different past tenses correctly and in the right time, you know, narrate correctly in the past and blah, blah, blah. All these things, complicated things, you know, conditional. And we just didn't, we weren't prepared for that test. But I didn't let that stop me, right? Like when I think about that now, I just think, okay, failed my French test. <laughs> but look, now I'm a French teacher, you know, I have a master's in French, um, I speak French to a very high level. And that was just, that failure was just, just a little blip on my timeline. Um, and I could have let that blip completely, you know, crash and burn my, my future and my, my love of French. But for me, it was just, okay, like, I'm not there yet. I don't understand the grammar yet. Um, and I just need to keep working on it. And so it was more like a, like a wake-up call. Um, and I didn't go into my university studying French. Um, I actually was going to do education. And then I changed to be a French major um, because I loved it so much. I was taking it for fun again, and I just fell in love um, and continued to, to study it. But I digress. Um, so I just want to say that, you know, if, if there is something that you failed at and something that you find hard, that doesn't mean it's the end, right? It doesn't have to be 
I failed at this thing, so it will never happen. Okay, like I failed my driver's test and now I'll never drive. No, it's just you weren't ready yet, right? I failed my French test and I still majored in French, studied abroad, then I lived in France for two years, right? I still kept my love and my passion for French, um, France, French language in general, la francophonie, alive. Okay, so let's get into this last part, which is what I wanted to talk about which is the polyglot gathering which happened at the end of march uh this year at least the online part of that conference there is an in-person happening in um Tereshin, poland uh same place it was last year near a little bit outside of warsaw if you're interested in going to that you can look them up online um okay so first and foremost i just want to say uh like i said this this topic was not even front of mind until very recently for me um I mean, a little bit, I would think, oh gosh, you know, I'm a better French teacher than I am an English teacher. <laughs> How is that possible when English is my native language? But it's completely possible as, um, you know, we're realizing more and more is that there are definite advantages to having learned the language yourself. And there's definite advantages to being a native, te uh, native speaker and na teacher um, as well. So I'm going to delve into those a little bit and what I learned by uh, discussing this with others at the polyglot gathering. So of course, these were people with lots of experience, um, learning languages, some of them also teachers. And I learned a couple things. <laughs> I learned a lot of things. The first thing I learned is that you should never ask a room full of polyglots to tell you what languages they've studied. That was a huge waste of time. <laughs> um, and I just could have I could have just said, put them in the chat and then we would have been, you know, off and running. Um, Cause I wanted to, I, when I teach online, I, I really like to establish that connection and have people just, you know, kind of say hello, um, introduce themselves briefly. However, <laughs> these are polyglots. So even the briefest of introductions of like, hi, this is who I am. This is the languages I've studied takes way too long because they've studied a lot of languages and then a lot of them have taught a lot of languages and woof and then people also kept joining which was fantastic but i really didn't expect it to um just kind of snowball out of control the way it did so next time <laughs> i've learned you ask people to introduce themselves quickly in the chat and yeah people can read it if they want to but at least then the dis discussion could have uh gotten started sooner so if you were there, if you watch the replay, I do apologize for that. Just didn't really think it through. Um, <laughs> so you live, you learn. Um, okay. I also thought, you know, okay, we're going to come up with some like kind of clear advantages and disadvantages, but really what came out of our discussion was much, much, much more nuanced gray, you know, not that it just, it depends. Just the things that came up were difficult to just put in this nice pretty box and organize um but i will discuss a little bit about what i believe to be the advantages and disadvantages uh based on what i heard and i did listen to it again to just make sure i didn't miss anything key okay i do need to say something really briefly though before i get into to that which is learning your first language what we call your l1 when we talk about language learning um, that is a very, very different situation from learning an L2. So a subsequent language, your second language, your third language, right? Or L2 plus any other languages that you learn after your first. Now, 
if you grew up simultaneously with two languages, those would both be like your L1, but that is a very different situation to someone who grew up monolingual, right? So if you had two languages from birth or from a very young age, your brain had this flexibility, this plasticity already, where it was like, oh, hey, these are not the same language, you know? I thought I was hearing differences, and yes, they are different. And then you learned to recognize the two systems, that there were two linguistic systems going on. You recognized with whom you should be speaking, which one. You were constantly, right? you weren't even really conscious of this fact, but you were constantly comparing them. Like, oh, huh, so wishka and spoon are the same thing. Huh, that's weird, but I shouldn't say wishka to this parent or to this grandparent. You know, your brain was doing this subconsciously. So, um, you know, you can't say that someone who grew up with two languages, you know, from a young age is the same as someone who grew up monolingual when you're talking about languages that you've learned afterwards yeah it's just it's a very different situation so let's just keep that in mind um when discussing this okay so let me give you some of what i thought and some of what came out of our discussion as advantages and disadvantages native speakers have the advantage of having an accent which is considered you know native again i'm doing air quotes but you can't see me because this is a podcast um and a lot of people mentioned how important accent is because it is literally the first thing people notice about you okay maybe they notice your physical appearance and then the minute you open your mouth they notice your accent um and that's just how humans are right we're gonna be judging you but like putting you in a box right like oh wow she sounds you know french maybe she is french even though she looks like she's from somewhere else okay um so yes accent is clearly something that's important and it is something we can work towards right um there are definite things you can do to work towards your accent now that's another debate should you try and have a native or near native accent or should you just accept that you have this accent and it's charming because it's a little bit different and you don't sound native and that's kind of nice um i can't answer that question for you that is definitely something that you yourself have to think about. And uh, do you really wanna work on it or are you happy with the accent you have? Again, I can't answer those questions for you, but a a native teacher, someone who has grown up, oh, I just realized there is a huge issue that I didn't even bring up. What does it mean to be native? (laughs) So um, when I talked about those people, let's say someone who grows up bilingually with two languages, are they native in both? Uh, We know that people tend to have a more dominant language, even when you grow up with two, depending on the circumstances, where you've lived, where you've studied, you know, what you spend most of your time in which language, that's going to kind of influence which one is your dominant language. So is a native speaker just someone who spoke it as their first language, someone who speaks it as their dominant language, but it wasn't their first language? There's so many questions, right? This is not as clear cut as we think it is. And thank you. This is a DJ who came in at the very end of the discussion, um, uh, the polyglot com- the polyglot gathering, excuse me. And he brought this up and I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. Like this should have been at the top of this episode. This should have been at the top of our discussion that what does that even mean, right? 
Um, I think it's a very, very monolinguistic view of the world to be like, oh, native and non-native, because that's assuming someone has lived their whole life, all of their experiences, right? Like parents, you know, growing up as a baby, all their schooling, et cetera, et cetera, has been in one language, but many people's experience does not follow that. Um, they have a home language. They have a language at school. Maybe they have a different language with their friends outside of school. There's just, you know, there's language mixing. Um, if we look at different countries around the world, you know, there's so many languages at play, communities and societies that are very multilingual. It's just, you can't, you can't put these two boxes where it's just native and non-native because it's much less clear then it's just, it's gray. It's not this black and white thing that we can just say he's a native and she's not, so we should hire him um, over her per se. Okay, again, so I'm just starting with the advantage, right? I said that the accent is quote unquote better. Again, by whom? Who decides what's better? Better, what does that mean? Um, we do need to recognize that languages are something that is at play in this political system, right? So languages have power, right? Why is English the lingua franca? Why does English have so much power? Why is a certain accent in English better received than another one, right? Like British English versus my accent in English versus a Southern accent from the US. Why is one of them perceived as better or smarter or what have you, okay? That is a whole nother can of worms that I cannot get into right now. That is a whole nother issue. Um, but yes, accent was brought up in our discussion. And we all do, even if we don't agree with the idea of like, oh, this accent is better than another one. We, we're against that idea. We, we do still want to speak. Oh, but I do want to speak correctly. I do want to sound like a native. <laughs> so we are all trying to go towards that. And for good reason, right, as a language teacher, I do recognize that having a clear accent, having clear speech is going to help you because when you're speaking with other people, they're going to understand you more easily. They're not going to keep asking you, huh? What? Can you repeat? I didn't get that. I don't know what you're trying to say. So if the goal of language is communication, accent does play a huge role in whether or not you're understood. So yes, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in a way because it's like we want it, but like, uh, we need it. Um, but it also, I mean, personally, I love accents. I think people, when they have their different accents, be English or French or what have you, I find it so charming. Um, and I would hate if we all sounded the same, if we all had the same accent when we spoke. I think the world would be so boring. But I digress. Um, the other advantage that I had here was just, I said knowledge, but by knowledge, I mean you are confident and certain. Like, yep, this is how we say it. You don't second guess yourself. You don't wonder, oh, geez, um, did I, is that the right grammar case? Um, or, oh, did I say that correctly? Or is there a better way? Is there a more natural way? Like, you just know. Right? When I teach English, I just I know, I'm like, yep, yeah, that's how we'd say it. Um, I do second guess myself sometimes, like how often do I say that expression? Sometimes I tell them expressions that are, you know, idiomatic and I'm like, well, I don't really use that, but you could use it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not a hundred percent like 
natives do everything correctly. No, not definitely not the case. Okay. Um, however, just sticking with the native teachers, they have a lot of disadvantages. One being that they did not learn this language the way that their students are, meaning they learned it as their L1, if we're talking about native, right? Not as an L2 or a subsequent language. So they're not in the same shoes, and I already alluded to this, as their students. They cannot understand why their students find this so hard. And that's a huge disadvantage because when you have done that thing, right? This being a disadvantage for the natives, it's an advantage for the non-natives, right? If you have the experience of having learned the language yourself, having, you know, fallen into the same mistakes that you see your students now falling into. Oh, yes, I remember when I used to do that. Oh, hey, you know, you can warn them ahead of time. Don't fall into this trap. Careful with these. Watch out for this, right? You're like guiding the way and pointing out all of the potholes <laughs> because you've been down that road. Whereas, you know, the native teacher is just kind of flying up ahead like a bird, never having touched the road. And like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. What are you stumbling on down there? Just come on. And they're just like flying gracefully ahead with no concept of what's happening on the ground. I just came up with that out of nowhere. I don't know where that came from. Okay. Um, the other disadvantage which um, is true in my case, is that you maybe don't really have a great understanding of the grammar and how the language works. And hey, I did say, I read a lot in English. I write eloquently, you know, I've done a lot of studies and degrees, but even so, <laughs> I don't know the names, or I didn't until teaching, the names of all the, you know, the tenses like present progressive or past perfect continuous, or I don't even know, like even um, saying them now, they still sound very foreign to me. They still, I'm like wondering if I'm even saying it correctly, like simple past or past simple. Uh, like it, they're not, from, it's not the same as like the French grammar system for me. I'm like, oh yeah, le participe passé, you know, like I know all these things, like how does the subjunctif work, all the irregulars, all the things to watch out for, when you do the accord, um, you know, when you agree in the past tense with avoir and when you don't, da, da, da. all the things, right? Like that is my specialty. That is something I know very, very well, like the back of my hand. Um, and English grammar, I can tell you how to say it. I can tell you what's correct, but I can't explain why. I have no idea what else is related to that, right? Like what else I should be teaching around that or next to that to compare it to. Um, and yes, books will help you, websites, there's things that will help you, but you have to, to look that up. You can't just throw a native, uh, you know, native teacher into the classroom who has no knowledge of how to teach or what to do and hope that they can explain this to students. They cannot, <laughs> they can not. Um, and that is a huge, huge um, issue is, you know, really one of the main things we learned from this discussion was it's not even about native versus non-native. Um, it is about who you are as a teacher. Do you have teaching experience? Do you have experience with other languages? What languages do we share? Meaning you, the teacher and the student or students, do you have languages in common? Um, I mean, there's just so many things I could say on this topic, but 
there's it's really not about what language you grew up speaking to your parents at all but we make that the biggest issue and wrongfully so okay let me get to the non-native just the little things that i um notes that i took so i can be clear here okay so the non-native as i already kind of mentioned they know all the common pitfalls they have a lot of knowledge and experience learning the language learning the grammar learning the vocab they've been down that road as i already mentioned the same road as the students you know they are like walking right in front of you they're just a little bit ahead of you showing you where to go a disadvantage of course um can be can be not always but can be the accent um it can be that you're maybe not so sure of what you're teaching so you're you know you're second guessing yourself you're like oh i hope i taught that correctly um let me check with you know let me check with someone or let me get this read over by you know someone who has this as their first language and then the biggest one biggest disadvantage to being a non-native teacher is the discrimination that you might not get hired and someone who just happens to have spoken that language as a child will get hired over you even if your resume is much better <laughs> that's huge you know um i think that's probably the worst disadvantage that we have as non-native teachers but yes some things some things be i, I don't want to talk too long about this because it really i could i could stay on this topic for hours and it's only me talking so i don't want to lecture at you too long but um we do need to recognize some things here first is there's always a political undercurrent with languages even just talking about language um you know is it a language or a dialect is it a language or a regional language or you know there's just there's so much politics um when we talk about languages and accents and dialects and the variations right there's always we have to acknowledge that and in this discussion people also brought up indigenous languages and you know how they always learned indigenous languages from a native speaker and i mean there's reasons for that right we also talked about the the more common languages like english french and spanish they have many foreign teachers because they're international languages whereas there are languages that are much much less common um so you know polish mandarin different languages that it's much more common to have a native teacher because they're not studied as like widely as those other languages are and yes they it also made me think a little bit about um somebody mentioned you know canada how you have to take french and there could be unqualified teachers being hired just to fill the gap because you have to have a teacher in the school and so you know there's different reasons right there's definitely a lot of political underpinnings here like you know French in Quebec is surrounded on all sides by English being invaded by this international world uh, lingua franca. So they have to fight so much in Canada to keep French alive, to keep it an important language. It's a bilingual country. Um, but again, that can have these negative consequences like unqualified teachers. So it's much a more bigger issue of like, are you a good teacher? <laughs> Do you know how to teach? Uh, what is your teaching style? Does that style work with students right like do you feel good with that teacher do you like their style or not even the like i mentioned earlier like do you have languages in common because that can really help when you have languages in common you have this understanding of the world and languages where you can explain things the relationship you have with the teacher is so important and developing that connection to them the trust um 
and just even the fact if they inspire you or not i think i mentioned that with my arabic teachers and you know you want to keep studying under someone who inspires you and having a non-native teacher can be much more inspiring because like wow look at this like they went from zero to that and that's what i want to do i also want to go from zero to that level you know hopefully one day so really um when we're talking about native versus non-native we we get to the question of like what is a good teacher it's not the language they spoke as a baby or heard as a baby um it's there's so many other factors involved and uh i just think there's ways that we can work around this you know that was another topic we talked about like well what do we do like we're kind of stuck in this world of hiring um teachers based on native versus non-native um we hear there's so many videos and ads and everything's just in this paradigm of native versus non-native talk like a native sound like a native study with these native teachers one of my good friends heidi she brought up a really good point she's like yep i recognize this um and she said she studies on italki she purposefully takes lessons from both native and non-native teachers so here's what she said she's like when i'm with the natives they focus more on like chatting together just conversing and having conversation. And then when she's with her non-native teacher, they focus more on grammar and being more nitpicky. But she's like, it's great because I take what I learned from my non-native teacher who's like super focused on the grammar. And then I get to use that when I'm with my native teacher. And it's just, it's really great because she's making a win-win out of the situation, right? And there are two sides to the coin. It's not that one is good and one is bad it's just two sides of the same coin and you can use them both to your advantage um so yes she's been lucky she's found teachers that she loves to work with and they both have she's using their advantages and not worrying about the disadvantages um and people did bring up like the fact of having a language partner or you know a private tutor you can ask specifically what you want to focus on like hey today can we can we just talk and can we like forget grammar just, you know, correct me if it's like super bad, but like, just let it go if it's small. Obviously, if you can find a language exchange partner, that's amazing because that's cost saving and great and really enriching for both of you. It's a win-win. Having a private tutor obviously is going to cost more money, um, but it's definitely worth it, right? And I have experience with my my private Derija tutor, um, so Moroccan Arabic dialect, and I can just say so many good things about her. Um, you know, she speaks the dialect, but she also speaks a Slavic language as her native language, which we share because I know some Polish, so we can sometimes compare to Slavic languages. I'll be like, oh, do that. Is that like this? And she's like, yeah, she speaks Spanish because she lives in Spain. And so sometimes she'll compare things, um, you know, the way they say I like is similar to me gusta, me gustan. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. Like we she all she had to do was say it's like me gusta, me gustan boom i got it right like it was so much easier than if she had to explain how it works to me um if i didn't already speak spanish right so having a, a teacher who shares different languages with you can be super helpful and just much more fun and yeah i just i really can't say enough good things about the way that she teaches and i hope that this is how i come off when i'm teaching you know polish for example or french or spanish for that matter um that you know, I have a lot of experience. I can help you uh, because I know from my own experience, my own trials and tribulations, um, but also the enthusiasm, the dedication. I just think that hopefully will 
will come off um, because you wouldn't still be doing something uh, like this, which is really hard <laughs> unless you loved it, right? Um, it is much easier to just stay in your little monolingual bubble, especially with uh, English as a, you know, first or native language. Like you could just live your whole life in English, but how boring would that be? <laughs> so it is hard to push yourself out of your comfort zone and out of your bubble. Um, but yeah, I think we, just to end this, uh, we definitely have a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work to be done to change this whole putting nativism on a pedestal. And that's what we all need to reach. And that's the only people who should be teaching. No way. <laughs> um, that is definitely not the case. I've had such good non-native teachers, I hope. And I try so hard every you know class that I teach to be a really, really good non-native teacher because it's not a matter of what language you speak first. It's a matter of how you teach, the things you focus on, the relationship you have, the knowledge you bring. So rather than keep talking about this, um, I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts, your comments. So if you guys don't know where to find me, you can find me on Instagram at thefutureisbilingual, all one word, no spaces or anything. I have a website, WordPress, the future is bilingual. And I would love to hear your comments either on Instagram, on my uh, website. You can write me an email. You can find my contact information on the website or on Instagram. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And I know that there will be many as it is kind of controversial, but I super, super look forward to having that conversation with you guys in the comments or in the DM. Um, please reach out. Let's get a conversation going about this. And yeah. It was a pleasure as always to be with you guys and i wish you a wonderful week of language learning language teaching making the future more bilingual take care ciao